Well, we've made our way through several weeks where I have um, been pushing on married couples, and so this morning, as promised, I'll push on you single folk uh, this morning, which, by the way, if, if I could, if you're, say, 18 or older and single, would you just raise your hand just for a second? Okay. Fantastic. Don't be ashamed. I'm not going to do anything weird to you yet. Um, I, I, just, I do that because I just want to welcome you. I want you to know how thankful, honestly, that I am that you are here. Uh, there was a time in our church's history when we had very, very few singles in our church, and uh, God has seen fit to uh, change that. And we are richly, greatly blessed with quite a number of singles uh, here at North Wake. And honestly, singles advance the kingdom. Uh, the advancement of the kingdom of God is often, has been, and will continue to be on the backs of singles. You think about some of your Bible heroes, many of them were single. Uh, Jeremiah, Daniel, Miriam, John the Baptist, Paul, Ruth, Joseph, Nehemiah, that guy Jesus, uh, they were all single, best we can tell. Um, and so I'm thankful. Uh, extraordinarily thankful. Steph and I did, before we came to North Wake years ago, uh, we were involved in singles ministry in Texas and, and loved it. Uh, our, some of our best memories of our time in Texas are in uh, the privilege we had to lead a singles uh, ministry in our church there. And uh, for the first time in history, in our country, uh, a majority of women in our country are single. There are more single adult women in our country as of the last couple of years um, than married women. And uh, so you bear a great influence, and we are very thankful for that. You know, when the church speaks to singles, which is very rare uh, that the church speaks to singles, uh, it usually centers around two poles. One is sexual purity, and the other is how important it is that you serve the church. And today, I want to talk about neither one of those things. I want to orbit around some other pole. And uh, to do that, I want to listen in on an encounter that Jesus had with two single women. And you'll find it in Luke chapter 10. And uh, I'd like to pray for our time as we, uh, as we turn there. Father, I pray, um, especially for my brothers and sisters who are single today, that you'd bring great encouragement to them. Um, but this is for us all. This is for everyone who uh, calls you Lord. And so I pray that you would again, once again, uh, give us ears to hear and feet to obey what it is you are about to say to us through your word. We, we do pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, starting in Luke chapter 10, in verse 38 is where we'll begin. We find Jesus and his disciples on their way. Um, they were traveling, in, in Luke's kind of travelogue that he has in his gospel, they're traveling to Jerusalem where the cross waits for Jesus. But it's also this traveling that they do is the way that the gospel spreads. And in spreading that gospel, uh, Jesus is teaching along the way, and he comes to a village uh, John would tell us this village is called Bethany, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Um, 
Martha has a sister, as we'll find out in just a little bit, uh, named Mary. And these two ladies evidently live together, and Martha now has offered her home, her hospitality, to Jesus, and probably to Jesus and the disciples. So this is really a remarkable act of hospitality. Um, Jesus was known at times to send word on ahead to make preparations, but there are other times, I'm sure, when he and 12 very hungry men just showed up. This could very, be, very well be one of those cases, and as a great act of hospitality, Martha opens her home. Now, if you're familiar with the story, um, Martha does not emerge from our story unscathed. She's not the hero of our story, but I don't want you to miss what Martha does in our story that is so commendable, and that is simply that she exercises beautiful hospitality, opening her home up and preparing a meal for probably 13 to 15 people. Um, Possibly quite spontaneously, definitely without a microwave. Um, And though... Though she suffers a rebuke in just a couple verses that really has become Martha's legacy, unfortunately, uh, she begins with a beautiful act of hospitality. And hospitality is huge in the kingdom of God. Scriptures exhort us and warn us about the importance of being a hospitable people. Here's an example uh, from 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. One of the ways we do that is to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Glad hospitality is commanded of those of us who follow Christ. It's huge in the kingdom of God and it's nearly extinct in our day. There was a survey done um, back in 2005 and the question simply was, how often... Do you entertain guests for dinner? Okay. 6% said once a week. 6%. 10 times that many said a few times a year or rarely or never. Hospitality is is one of the great graces of the church. And if you are single, you can do this. You do not have to be married to be hospitable. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, my family uh, was invited after church to share a meal with one of the single guys uh, from our small group. Had a fantastic uh, time together uh, in his home. So don't let your singleness close your door to hungry pastors. I mean, hungry brothers and sisters. (laughs) In the Lord, okay? It's a big deal um, in the scriptures that we would would exercise biblical hospitality and open our homes to one another. My hope is, really, that we can redeem a bit of Martha's legacy today, as we'll see even more as the story unfolds. This lady opens her home up to 13 hungry men. This is no small feat. And most significantly, though, one of them was Christ himself. Now, back in our story, she did have a sister called Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, Mary did, listening to what he said. 
And Mary here occupies a really extraordinary position for a woman in Jesus' day. Uh, This expression of sitting at someone's feet was a way of indicating that you were in almost formal instruction with them. You were one of their disciples, really, learning from them as they were your teacher or your rabbi. Um, And in a culture where women were often treated with little more um, expectation uh, than children, this shows the prominent place of women, and in this case, a single woman, in the ministry of Jesus and the significant and prominent place they are intended to have in the kingdom today. Single women matter deeply to Jesus and are welcomed into full discipleship in his kingdom. And that is the place that Mary occupies in our story, uh, the place of a disciple, a follower of, of Jesus. But Martha... While Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, to Jesus, that is, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Okay. It starts out, but Martha... Martha has Jesus in her living room, and she has chosen the kitchen. There's something terribly, terribly upside down about this. Something lesser has distracted her from that which truly mattered. Something she needed to do had distracted her from someone she needed to be with, from someone she needed to listen to. And I suppose if we, could, if we could put it into a word, Martha's distraction sprung from busyness. Accomplishment mattered more to Martha than relationship, even her relationship with Christ himself. And busyness, um, many communicators and teachers today are recognizing busyness as a huge problem in in the lives of Christians today. Um, Author Gordon MacDonald says, I'm of the opinion that busyness is a deeper threat to the soul than pornography ever was. That's a strong statement. Author James Houston says, the desert fathers spoke of busyness as moral laziness. Busyness can be addictive which is why its victims are increasingly referred to as workaholics. Busyness acts to repress our inner fears and personal anxieties as we scramble to achieve an enviable image to display to others. We become outward people obsessed with how we appear rather than inward people reflecting on the meaning of our lives. There was a study called the Obstacles to Growth Survey that was done a few years back. It's actually still going on on the web. Um, Over 20,000 Christians took place in 139 countries. And what they found in our country was that 62% of North American Christians um, answered this statement by saying, often or almost always. Here's the statement. The busyness of my life gets in the way of developing my relationship with God. 
62% of North American Christians said that is either often the case or almost always the case. How would you answer that question? The busyness of my life gets in the way of developing my relationship with God. You can actually answer it. You can go online. The survey still exists. You can go online and register your uh, response to it. And you really must answer this question. Not online, but in an honest, quiet assessment of your own soul. Is the busyness of your life getting in the way of developing your relationship with God? Are you honestly, too busy for God? Have you traded communion for achievement? Have you chosen task over relationship, even relationship with Christ? See, Martha fell into that and she had Jesus sitting in her living room. Busyness is a powerful distraction from Christ. And you see it shaping Martha in a variety of ways. Um, first, she uses relationship. Um, you see that in the way that she judges her sister for not helping her. She, her, her concern for Mary is that Mary would help her accomplish her tasks. What matters most to Martha is her tasks. It's her to-do list. And that's what Mary is for. But not just Mary, that's what Jesus is for. Do you notice that? She actually tells Jesus what he needs to do. Jesus, tell my sister to come help me in the kitchen. Straighten her out. Somehow, it has become, everything has become about Martha's tasks, about her to-do list. Accomplishment has trumped relationship in Martha's life in this instance, even with Christ. So she begins to use relationship, and as a result, she actually loses relationship. She forfeits the teaching and the company, and here you see them going together she forfeits the teaching and the company of Christ for something lesser. Something good, but something lesser. John Ortberg, in his excellent book, The Life You've Always Wanted, talks about how pace of life, how being busy or hurried damages uh, relationship in general. He cites a fellow named Lewis Grant, who suggests that we are afflicted with what he calls sunset fatigue. He says, when we come home at the end of a day's work, those who need our love the most, those to whom we are most committed, end up getting the leftovers. Does that sound familiar? Sunset fatigue is when we are just too tired or too drained or too preoccupied to love the people to whom we have made the deepest promises. Sunset fatigue has set in Grant says, when one of these things is true, you find yourself rushing 
even when there is no reason to. There is an underlying tension that causes sharp words or sibling quarrels. You set up mock races. Okay, kids, let's see who can take a bath faster. That are really about your own need to get through it. You sense a loss of gratitude and wonder. You indulge in self-destructive escapes from fatigue, abusing alcohol, watching too much TV, listening to country western music, and then Ortberg confesses that's his idea, not Grant's in the study. Then he says, it is because it kills love that hurry, or we would say busyness, is the great enemy of spiritual life. Busyness will cost you in relationship, and in Martha's case, and in too many of ours, it is costing us in our relationship with Christ. How would you answer that survey question? The busyness of my life gets in the way of developing my relationship with God, honestly. Busyness is a usurping idol. It takes the place of Christ in our affections and puts us in his place in our planning. We become the ones who know what must be done and now we must get Christ to help us with our tasks. And very subtly in that, we have taken his place. This is actually far more troubling than it seemed at first, isn't it? This matter of busyness. It's interesting, this same question, um, the busyness of my life gets in the way of developing my relationship with God was focused in and asked specifically of Christian leaders and then more specifically of pastors. Um, 75% of Christian leaders said this is true. 64% of pastors said this is true. It is not good for the health of the church if the pastor is too busy for Christ. And um, I have been blistered and have shared the blisters with pastors in in the office from um, this quote by Eugene Peterson in his book, The Contemplative Pastor. If you're here this morning preparing to be a pastor, um, buckle up and pay close attention. Peterson says the word busy is the symptom not of commitment but of betrayal. It is not devotion but defection. The adjective busy, said as a modifier to pastor, should sound to our ears like adulteress to characterize a wife or embezzling to describe a banker. It is an outrageous scandal, a blasphemous affront. Hillary of Tours diagnosed our pastoral busyness as a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. He says, I and most pastors, I believe, become busy for two reasons. Both are ignoble. I'll just share the first with you. I am busy because I am vain. I want to appear important, significant. What better way than to be busy? 
the incredible hours, the crowded schedule, and the heavy demands on my time are proof to myself and to all who will notice that I am important. If I go into a doctor's office and find there's no one waiting and I see through a half-open door the doctor reading a book, I wonder if he's any good. A good doctor will have people lined up waiting to see him. A good doctor will not have time to read a book. Although I grumble about waiting my turn in a busy doctor's office, I am also impressed with his importance. He says, such experiences affect me. I live in a society in which crowded schedules and harassed conditions are evidence of importance. So I develop a crowded schedule and harassed conditions. When others notice, they acknowledge my significance and my vanity is fed. How would you answer the question? The busyness of my life gets in the way of developing my relationship with God. If you intend to serve Christ's church in leadership, especially while you are single, um, you must establish patterns of protecting and nurturing your relationship with Christ from encroachment by busyness. You must. The health of the church depends upon your ability to protect and fortify that. It is a tragedy if you let video games and Facebook rob you of Christ. Well, Jesus now speaks to Martha. And he says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. It's as though he's saying, this is your life, Martha. You are worried and upset. It is a loving rebuke. It's loving. I mean, you know, when you, when you say someone's name twice, it's usually a sense of endearment. Um, you know, if the, if the UPS guy screws up, you don't go, UPS guy, UPS guy. <laughs> you, know, but you might say that to your, your child or, or someone you care about. And Jesus, in John's, one of John's accounts of the interaction with this same set of sisters, says Jesus loved Martha and her sister. Jesus loved her. This rebuke is part of his love for Martha. And if you are being pushed by it, it's part of his love for you. Martha has succumbed to worry fueled by busyness. She is troubled with cares. And we should note Martha's cares are good cares. Feeding Jesus and the disciples, that's a good way to spend your evening. That's a noble cause. But it has usurped the place of Christ, loving Christ in her heart. It matters more to her to get things done than to get to know Jesus and to hear from him about the condition of her life. And when something lesser matters too much, it is inescapable that we will worry about it. In fact, worry is often a revelation that something has gotten out of order in your life. 
that it's become too important to you, that it is too preoccupying for you. If you are single today, what are you most worried about? I mean, honestly. Are you worried about becoming successful? Are you worried about being popular or being alone? Are you worried about staying single? Has your concern over that thing caused you to worry and stolen your delight in Christ? Be careful. Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day, the day of his return, will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Worry amongst these other sins weighs down our hearts and causes us to lose faith, rendering us unable to watch and hope and delight supremely in Christ. And we will be caught unawares on the day of his return. So what is worrying you this morning, honestly? What do you lose sleep over? What do you fret about? What do you fear? Is that thing robbing you of your rightful posture of trusting in the Lord's care for you, of sitting at his feet, as it were, and delighting in his good teaching for your life? That's part of the beauty of these two sisters. Um, The other is a counterbalance for Mary. In verse 42, Jesus speaks about Mary, or a counterbalance to Martha, rather. Mary, now, he says, but only one thing is needed. Martha, only one thing is needed. You're anxious about many things. Only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, by the way she phrases her question, is sure Jesus is going to take her side. She is approaching Jesus with confidence that he is going to Get that lazy sister out of the living room and in the kitchen where she belongs. Um, And Jesus is clear. He turns the tables on her and he says, you know what, Mary has made a better choice and I have no intention of taking that away from her. And this has to be humiliating for Martha. To be so sure you are right that you publicly declare it as God's will for someone else and then to have it flipped around on you. Um, This is humiliating. But you go back to Mary's choice and let's just see what's so right about it. First of all, what's so right about it in contrast to her sister is her posture before Christ. Mary is listening to Christ at his feet. Martha is directing Christ, telling him what it is he needs to do. And so Mary, if Jesus is her Lord, she is in the perfect place, 
sitting symbolically at his feet, learning from him. And her priority of Christ, Jesus specifically says, is right. There was no doubt a great deal of work to be done, good work, preparing the meal for probably the 13 most important people on the planet. But there was something that mattered more to Mary. There was someone who mattered more. And Jesus says, that's the good choice. That's the needful thing. So Jesus' words are a stunning call to us to reconsider the order of our days. How many days are we too busy on either end of our days to meet with Christ, to sit at his feet, to hear from him? Amidst all the stuff that we have to do every day, cooking and cleaning and working and paying bills and all the stuff, and this is compounded if you're single often because you have to do it all yourself. Above all those things, Jesus says there is one thing that is needful. It is to matter more to us than any other thing. And that thing is simply to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him to be in his company and to be taught by him. Who are you most like? Honestly, are you Mary or are you Martha? What matters most to you? What's the one needful thing that you will not neglect? When Jesus talks with these two single ladies about the order of their lives, he is inviting, he is urging them to put communion with him at the center of their lives, the priority of their days, to make it the needful thing in their days. And it's interesting, a little later on in Jesus, the chronology of Jesus' life, there's another encounter, um, perhaps even more memorable with Mary and Martha, It is when Lazarus, their brother, died. It's over in um, John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. It's on his arrival at the scene of Lazarus' death. Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is Martha speaking. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come 
into the world. And Martha here clearly confesses who Jesus is. That he is the Christ. And that her hope is in him alone. And it sounds to me like Martha has taken Jesus' admonition to heart. Jesus is Martha's one needful thing. What about you? Have you ever made Martha's confession? Have you ever acknowledged that Jesus is the very Son of God come to earth to be your sin-bearer, your king, and to raise you from the dead and give you newness of life? Have you ever confessed that? Have you ever bowed the knee before him and made that confession? If you have, is communing with him in prayer and in the word your one needful, most delightful thing each day? Is it the thing that you won't compromise, the thing that you most protect from the busyness of our crazy days? Well, a disordered life begins to be rightly reordered by recognizing that it is disordered and then by repenting of it. If your relationship with God has suffered because of your busyness, if you find yourself worried and troubled by lesser things, then let me encourage you as the worship team comes and they lead us in this closing act of worship today, um, that you would come and simply kneel down here at the front of the platform as a symbol that you want to sit at Jesus' feet and make your relationship with him the one needful thing in your days. Okay? So if you'll pray with me, the team is going to lead us in that time of response. Father, who is, who is immune to this folly of taking matters into our own hands and running ahead of you? of deciding what matters most apart from you and even over you, above you. This is surely a message for us all. And I, I pray especially for my brothers and sisters who are single and are pressed to invest the gift of time that they have in things that do not matter nearly as much as communion with you. Draw them near you. May you be their delight. And Lord, for those who uh, are here today and they're aware that they need simply to make Martha's confession that you're the Christ, you're their Savior, you're their hope, uh, I pray that you would hear that cry now. And Lord, may the steps we take now to honor you be steps that chase us out of this room and into our week and all of our days. For you are worthy of being the one needful thing in the center of our days. So we worship you now. We pray in your name. Amen. If you'll stand, let's worship our King together.